You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Word of prayer, gracious and heavenly Father, um, for your mercies renewed each morning, uh, especially this day. Uh, for your grace, which is sufficient for uh, uh, for each moment of our lives, um, for your strength, which is perfected in weakness, for this church, for uh, uh, for all that we have, we give you thanks and ask now, Lord, that you would uh, speak now and let your word go forth and do the work it 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 is uh, given to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is enough? I was just kind of playing with the title. Um, because uh, I think it's kind of a funny word. I mean, I started thinking about the word enough. I mean, it kind of even sounds funny as it comes off the tongue. That wasn't the whole reason for it, of course. Um, text is from 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, where the, the tagline is going to be. It's, it's the pinnacle of, of certainly 2 Corinthians, and in some ways, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul's two letters to the church in Corinth, that my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is perfected in weakness. Um, this is right in that context, and we'll read it, and we'll sort of break it down. Look at even the chapter before. You get a lot. You got a lot of information about Paul. He sort of lets his guard down and tells you a little bit about himself in two places: one in Philippians, and one here in Second Corinthians. And so, if you want to know about the man Paul, you look at Acts, and you look in Philippians, and you look in um, in Second Corinthians, and you kind of piece together parts of his life. Uh, but this is where. He goes through and and uh, and he talks about being caught up into the third heaven, which is really weird and fantastic. Uh, and then uh, he says, but to keep from being coming conceited, God, a little bit like Andrew's sermon, God, not the devil, not sin in his life, not the flesh. Um, God gave him a thorn in his flesh um, in order to keep him from becoming conceited, in order from putting himself in a superior position. And we'll talk about that. This has got a lot to do with relationships. Um, to keep him from becoming conceited, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And then Paul prayed, how many times? Three, like Jesus in Gethsemane. Um, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup pass. And Paul praying the same thing. Lord, if there's another way, let this thorn in my flesh. We may talk about that, maybe not. We don't know what that is. Is that a person? Is that somebody that's persecuting him? Is that a physical ailment? That seems to be what most people think. Is it a, uh, is it an inward disposition? Is it the lusts of the flesh, whether it's sexual lust or, or just the, the, the lust for comfort or the lust for acquisitions of, of something else, of material or whatever? We don't know. But he prayed three times, Lord, if there's another way for me to be your servant to the Gentiles, let that happen. And after the third prayer, uh, he gets the clear word. It's in red letters, so we know that. This is actually Jesus speaking. Um, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, um, and my strength is perfected in weakness. So that's what we want to climb into. That's kind of our, our text for today. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. You can always use those words synonymously. So what is enough? What does it mean to be sufficient? And I want to do a little bit first before we do the text, and then hopefully end and with some time to interact. But what I hope to do perhaps I hope I'm not being too lofty here. I want to get everybody I'm trying to get everybody into a certain space in their minds and in you know sort of our hearts so everybody here can kind of jump on somewhere wherever you are 
in your life right now, whatever it was that you woke up with or it's been kind of around this weekend, not looking for forever ago, um, just kind of right, right now in your present. What is it that's kind of there? I'm going to say it's got something to do with a relationship, um, possibly, quite possibly, a relationship to another human being, but not necessarily somebody that you have immediately in mind. Um, what pushes us forward? How do we gain ground? How do we um, advance towards whatever it is? Or, if you want to put another grade on it, how do we know that we're not doing so well? How do I know that I'm losing the game? How do I know that I'm being defeated or I'm already lost? All these words which we use for a lot of different things, we might use them for uh, a relationship, like with our children. I'm just not, not doing a very good job of being a dad. Um, certainly work comes to mind, I think, for a lot of us. You know, emails are killing me, which is true. Um, uh, marriage is right there. It's laden everywhere. Um, you know, I know I ought to do this and I can do it, but I'm not. So what am I doing wrong? You know, all this language has to do with relationship. Relationship in what way? Expand just a little bit, probably from the way that we normally think of that word. Just how I relate, how I'm in, I'm connected to or relating to or in relationship to something else. Uh, in theology, especially around here, what I hope we would call this, it's the law. Um, because the law is that standard, it's that bar, it's that marking point, it's that measuring rod which tells us how we're doing vis-a-vis -vis something else how I'm doing in relationship to something else. So when I'm overwhelmed with guilt because I'm not the father that my grandfather was, that's the law. Not necessarily even the bad work of the law yet. All I want to say so far, just expanding our mind, trying to get everybody into a certain mental, emotional space, is who I am related to something or someone else, in this case, my grandfather, or, you know, good day, great day. What's that relating to? Um, I have something in mind, like this is the minimum and I exceeded it. I'm above it. You know, what's your relation point? How do you know when you advance or retreat? How do you know when you succeed or fail? How do you know when it's good or bad? How do you know how you're doing? That's kind of where I want us to get, because that's going to be the question, one of the questions that Paul's going to be pulling together in this. Um, what is enough? Um, uh, I even, I don't usually do this, but since I gave it this title like three weeks ago, I was like, well, what is enough? So I go to m-w.com, you know, miriamwebster.com. It's actually kind of an interesting definition. So, at the risk of being cliche, you know, I'm going to sort of give you the Webster's definition. Um, occurring enough. Occurring in such quantity, quality, or scope as to meet fully demands, needs, or expectations. I think that's actually pretty fun to play with. Um, occurring in such quantity, quality, or scope as to meet fully. Fully, that's a big word, big qualifier there. Demands, needs, or expectations. So examples of bringing enough before we get into the text um, in order to prove yourself. Um, how am I doing? Because that's what we're doing. 
I'm proving myself against some bar, against some law, against some measuring rod, against some imaginary or actual line which tells me what's demanded, what's needed, or what I expect. So now we got that definition. And I'm wondering, how am I doing? Again, what do we call that in theology? What's the word? Justification. How am I doing vis-a-vis something else? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do? Good teacher. He's called him good teacher, not Lord. Um, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Hear the doing? What's the bar? Um, uh, And he said this. Why? Because he wanted to justify himself. Now we can say that, oh, it's bad and it is bad. We shouldn't justify ourselves. But we don't know that yet. All he wanted to see was, am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? Because I think for most of us, after a certain age, analysis was for me, you know, I quit wanting to be C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I just wanted to be okay. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be okay. Um, that's true, actually. I used to have these delusions of grandeur. It's like, the Lord's going to, you know, that stuff. And it's like, no, I don't want that anymore. I just want to sort of like wake up, be okay. Kids come down, like, hey, Dad. And like, you know, and stuff. Just, Lord, let me be okay. I'm not even talking about something big to justify myself. Not necessarily here, just, Lord, let me make it through another day. What's your bar? Make it through another minute. If you're in sobriety, Lord, just for today, just for another second, just let me drink for the next breath. AA gets it. They bring it all the way down. So examples of this, bringing enough, bringing that which is sufficient, bringing the quantity, quality, or scope to fully meet demands, needs, or expectations. Uh, what are some examples? Well, the easy one. I mean, this is why it's easy, because it's so prevalent in all of our lives in one way or another. You know, the proverbial keep up with who? The Jones. You know, I was looking around to see if any Jones were actually in here. I was like, <laughs> you poor people. I wonder if Liz and Jeff were here. It's like, everybody picks on you. So, um, why, does, why do we instantly know what that is? Because we instantly recognize that we're constantly, unceasingly, unthinkingly, naturally, can't help it, can't help but not not be in relationship to this proverbial Jones, to somebody else that's telling me how I'm doing, that's telling me if I'm justified, that's telling me if I'm proved as being not just great, not, not pretty good, but just even okay, or you know, just below average, that's fine with me, or wherever, wherever your bar is, you know, keeping up with the Jones. Now, who are the Jones? Um, you know, because that's going to tell us who all, what you're doing. And I'm leaving that out there. I mean, our houses are the easy ones, our yards, our kids, the amount of activities, the, or the flip. Maybe my Joneses are that, you know, I'm a free-range parent and it's not my kids do three activities each but I've got it worked out so they don't do any activities maybe that's your Jones um, you know what's your idol who are you trying to keep up to where's your bar because it's all over the place you can't not not have one that's who we are um, and we're all measuring ourselves you know pro culture counterculture whatever else so who are your Jones how are you proving your worthiness, that you belong, that you're in the inner ring, that you're okay, that you're great, that you're just below average, but that's still enough. You know, what's it going to be? Or, um, uh, well, I don't want to deal with that. Um, 
What is enough? What is the thing that drives you? And then ask this. What if, what if perhaps that thing which is driving us around this bar uh, is something that can never be quenched? Um, this is Luther. A lot of y'all will know this. Um, this great word uh, out of the Heidelberg Disputation that the thirst for glory uh, cannot be extinguished um, by being quenched, but has to be killed. So the question is there. What's our Jones? What's our bar? And now I ask, what if it is the proverbial treadmill and I keep chasing it? It's not hard. I mean, it's a pretty simple idea here. I'm just trying to get us all in that emotional space, that, that, that cognitive space, to be able to recognize again, I hope, because Paul's going to say, I repeat. He's going to say that just here in a minute. So I hope this is all repetition, but maybe it's not. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is sort of new again. What's the thing which you're realizing, oh my gosh, if I keep chasing this, this really is going to be in front of me forever. And I'm never going to get there. Because there's a bar. There's a Jones. There is the measuring rod. There is that place which I have to get to in order to blank. Be okay, have peace, be sober, be, be, be average, be great, be whatever it is, whatever your qualifier is. What if that doesn't work and you can't quench that thirst? What if you could drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and it never, ever, ever gets satisfied? A little bit of where Paul comes in with there. Um, uh, I guess one more quick diversion because my notes tell me to do that. Um, uh, corollary question to how much is enough is, uh, or what is enough, is how much um, how much? How much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? That's the famous phrase in this whole thing. Um, probably where it started. Charles Gaston smelled that out at Tuesday staff meeting. You know, Charles Rockefeller at one time, the richest man in the world. I think that's true. And as the story, it's, it's probably apocryphal. None of this is probably true. So, grain of salt. You know, he's walking away and he's this famous introvert. And the longer he lived, the more introverted, more just introverted. He became sort of really sort of you know, reclusive and odd. Uh, but And people would always pepper him with questions, the paparazzi of the day, and somebody called out after him, Mr. Rockefeller, Mr. Rockefeller, just how much is enough? How much is enough? And he turns around and he goes, just a little more. And then he keeps walking. You know, ha, 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 immensely sad. I mean, think about that. Immensely sad. How much accomplishment, how much money, how much achievement, how much outcome, how much whatever is enough. Or in the parenting realm, how much of this proverbial balance between structure and discipline and, and, and uh, predictability coupled with lovingness and affection and affirmation, how much is enough to get it just right to what's my bar? Just so they're not nuts, just so my kids don't go crazy, and just so they don't, so they they they, they marry okay, you know, just so that they, they they're not on a therapist cat, whatever your bar is, you know, just that. How much um, in your marriage, in my marriage, how much love and affection and compassion? Because we're we're awful scorekeepers, um, but we can't help it. And it's like, well, do I do I get up now? And it's like we're three units, and is that worth it? You know, I'm just playing it down like that. How much? is enough 
for me to blank? Does that just sort of get by another day, win a month? This is how some people think. Um, uh, how much is enough to sort of create the quid pro quo so that I'm okay vis-a-vis Maymay or your spouse or your boss or your child or your dead grandfather or whoever it is, um, whatever it is, how much is enough? So that's the space I tried to create. Any thoughts there real fast? And I'm going to read Paul. I'm actually going to go somewhere and let what I hope sort of came up just a little bit um, has a word for us, a word of hope, to say that we're actually asking the wrong questions. Um, what is enough is the wrong question. It's going to be a who, but we'll find that out. Any thoughts? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. what you're saying kind of reminds me, I know Ashley Noel talks about this, but yep. Tim Keller does too, about in the context of athletics, especially, it's actually a sort of unique place where you actually can like set the bar and meet the bar. Yeah. And Keller maintains a file, he said, of all these articles about how deeply depressed, suicidal, the best athletes in the world are when they've become unquestionably the best. Yep. So like whether it's Tiger Woods, to give an example, like Boris Becker, after he won Wimbledon the first time, youngest player ever to do it, there is no better. He is the best tennis player in the world when he woke up, like, wanted to kill himself. Yep, yep. Because he was enough by the bar, and yet it was just so deeply unfulfilling. Yeah. You know, you can't. Because I got there, and it's like. There's nothing left to chase now, yeah. and it's just like the emptiness of it. Yeah. You know? The emptiness of there. That yeah. sounds like the article title, doesn't yeah. it? The emptiness of there. I got there. Like the rest of us keep chasing the bar, but if you're yeah. so unfortunate to actually need yeah. a bar, yeah. and it's not, and you're still not enough. It's like the dog that chases the car, and he finally gets the car's tire in his mouth, and he's like, now what? Yeah. You know, right. So it's done. That was, probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's read Paul. This is Paul. Um, if you have it on your phone, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to start there first, talk a little bit about his... Uh, his boasting and his weakness and his foolishness. These are the words I even looked. Um, how many times? I wrote it down. Span of, of less than a chapter. He uses the word fool or foolish six times, boasting and boast 13 times, and weakness and weak nine times. So he's all in on this boasting and foolishness and weakness, whatever that's going to look like and mean. So starting at chapter 11, verse 16. Let me read. The, to the bottom of 11, I'll say a couple things and then we'll actually get into the text um, uh, of, of today, and it's chapter 12, 1 through 10. So, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. I repeat, so there it is again. Repet- repetition is really, 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 really important. You know, it comes every year, Christmas and Easter, and we repeat, we repeat, we repeat. And I can tell you, I'm going to cry next Easter morning because it's just great. It's really, really great, you know. And I repeat it, and it's a good thing. And that's what Paul wants to do. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. There's a lot of sarcasm here, a lot of irony. For you bear... It, if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face, to my shame, he's quoting, air quoting, I must say that we were too weak for that. 
but whatever anyone else dares to boast of. So obviously he's given this context about these super apostles that have come along and trying to steal away his sheep and giving them lies and that sort of stuff. And now he wants to say, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they? Now he gives his, his CV. Now he's trying to say, I'm going to prove you. I'm going to justify myself to you so that you'll say, okay, well, I guess I'll listen to you. So now he can actually lead him in the right way. So here's this, here's this curriculum vitae. Here's his resume. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He introduces it. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So what's all this that Paul's doing, this boasting, where he eventually comes around and says, let me boast first in one way, and then I'm going to boast in my weakness in another. Um, Paul wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? That's kind of his background here. What do you have that you did not receive? And he sort of gives it anyway. He knows he knows the deal. He wrote the deal. He wrote the inspired word of God. Um, and he's still he's playing the fool. The fool, the one who boasts as if he did it. And so he goes through, let me boast like a madman, like these other people who are trying to steal you away and boast in the temporal things that have not yet proven their lastingness. Let me boast in uh, as everybody else does. How many times I've been beaten, how many times I've been shipwrecked, how I've suffered for the faith, um, my pedigree, my bloodline, my, my, my address. I live in the right place. I know the right people. I did the right things since I was a kid. My parents told me what to do, etc., 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 etc. Rubbish, he says. He uses a different word, in fact, in Philippians. He calls it that. Um, rubbish. All of that is not worth comparing to the great treasure of that which has been, is, uh, has been found to be true and lasting and eternal. Paul boasts, he, he points out that the others would boast in their flesh, the things that they have done. And it's all Paul wants to do. This is the gratuitous U2 reference. Um, all Paul wants to do is hold up and say, let me boast in this. Oh, can't you see what the Lord has done? Oh, can't you see what the Lord has done? Let me boast in my weakness so that the Lord's greatness would be made 
magnified, would grow in your sight. Oh, can't you see what the Lord has done? Well, he's going to go through and now pull out this weakness and really amplify it. And he talked himself into a dither, which Paul, I think, sometimes does, which is probably why I like him, because I can do that too. Um, where he just starts writing, you know, quill on paper, and he just gets going, or he's talking, and he just gets going, and a scribe is trying to keep up, and he just starts going on these tangents, and he talks himself into, that's what I want to say. That's what I've been given to say. I started boasting like a fool, and now I figured out a way to actually use that to the Lord's advantage. And he turns that around, and he starts in verse 12, and this is where I want to slow down. I must go on boasting. So now he's constrained. I have to keep doing this. I talked this way, but now now I see it. Now it's clear to me. This is what the Lord wants me to say to you. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so now Paul talks about all the rubbish. Now he's going to talk about things that aren't rubbish. Even though he says there's nothing to be gained by this because you're going to think, here's the relationship in the space, that I'm some sort of better Christian than you. And so he actually goes Seinfeld (laughs) and he starts talking in third person. This is that place where it gets really weird where Paul talks about himself, but he talks about that man. Remember that Seinfeld where he talks about Jimmy? Jimmy likes to jump. Jimmy does this. Jimmy does that. Paul does that. I wouldn't be surprised if people wrote Seinfeld actually were thinking about that from their Catholic school days or whatever it was. So, so here's what Paul's doing. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, Paul's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Some idea that you know, the first heaven is like the sky, which we can look up, and there's birds. The second heaven would be, you know, even back then, they would recognize that's where the moon is and the stars, and nothing goes there. We don't know that. But then beyond that, as it were, the third heaven. So even beyond the stars, the sun, and the moon, whatever that is, that's kind of the idea. We don't take that too literally. That's just what Paul is kind of using as a device. Was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which a man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. Um, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me, that's the space, than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, that's lifted up, that's made superior, that's to be placed on a pedestal, that's to be seen as higher than whoever. So now we're back to where we were at the beginning. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn or a stake is also the literal word, the thorns, Christ wore a crown of them on his head. And one was given to Paul, was given me in the flesh, a messenger, an angel of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me, that it should leave me. But he said to me, the Lord spoke to me, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My grace is in such quantity quality and scope, that it fully meets the demands of the law, that it fully meets the demands 
needs and expectations of this present darkness, of this hour, of this day. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this phrase made perfect. Um, the Good Friday word, the last word from the cross, um, it is finished, which is tetelestai, a little Greek. Um, uh, has that word that same as here it comes from the word telos, which some of us know, just an end, the telos, the goal, the end, perfected. My grace is finished uh, in you. And how is it finished in you? How is it made perfect? In weakness, not in strength. All the ways that we just got into that space a minute ago, where try to provide us in that emotional space and the cognitive space of recognizing, yep, heard this before but I needed to hear it again today. I needed to hear it again this hour. Who am I vis-a-vis? Who am I in relation to blank? Your grandfather, your boss, your underlings, the person that you're trying to be as smart as or trying to prove yourself against, your colleague, your child, who truth be told, you're, you're, you're completely afraid of. You have no idea what to do with this person. Um, your uh, your mother, your aging parent, uh, your your blank. My grace is sufficient for you, and my power, the power of the gospel, the power of salvation unto all who believe, the power of the word which falls on the ear, that does something, that gives the very thing which it speaks. It, it changes as it's heard. The power is brought to its end through your weakness. So, here's the question of the whole hour, in fact. And then I'll pause and stop. What's the question of the class? What's the question of this little offering? Um, what is What about us is attractive to God? <laughs> here's a funny answer. And I hope this is repetition, but I hope now it's heard again freshly. What is it about us that is attractive to God? Why would God in his providence look out and say him, her, more specifically you, or you, or you, or you? It comes personally to us. Why would God say you? It's not your body type. (laughs) It's not your hair. It's not your potential. It's not your good looks. It's not your achievements. It's not that you're a Hebrew or an Israelite or a son of Abraham or a better Christian because you've done X or Y or Z. It's not that it's raw material that he can work with. This is a crazy word. It's an offensive word. It's foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. And hear it again. You're attractive to God because you're wicked, because you're a sinner, because you're not going to get any better, because You are a bundle of need. More than that, a bundle of rebellion. And strange as it sounds, that's exactly who God is attracted to. The one who cannot, God says, well, now, my son, come. You know, everything that is mine is now yours. And I give it to you freely. And you go up there and you wail on him and you call him names and you kill him. <laughs> you actually kill him. You take one of those thorns, one of those, those stakes, 
and you take three of them and you put one in one wrist and one in another and one in his feet and you put him on a cross. And he says, yep, I know. I knew you would do this. I saw it from the beginning. And you're the one. You're the one. You're the one that I love, you wicked, reprobate sinner. I love you. That is so odd. That is a foreign word. That is an offense, truth be told. Um, and that is the gospel. And Paul gets it. Paul's right here. All the ways that we think about things. How am I doing? He turns it around and he says, it's been done. I know it's a simple word, but it's the true word. It's been done. You can still think that way. That's okay. On the other side of the Jordan, you're thinking, you're feeling, everything will be free. But just know this now. Know this now. That down is up and up is down. And I love you exactly in your failure. Exactly in your weakness. Exactly in the thing where you cannot do. He's saying, I did. To tell us die. It is finished. Made perfect. Um, so I think that's probably a good place to stop. What attracts you to God? Your weakness. And it's not just the thing that I need a little bit of an adjunctive. It's like the thing that I can't. And he says, there you are. That's what I want. A moment or two. Questions or comments, thoughts? It makes me think a lot of conversations I have with my children. Any, any time when I try to impart some kind of wisdom, knowing that they can't. And I tell them a lot of times, the way I phrase it is just just know this. I know you can't understand it, but know that 10 years from now is going to be different in this way. Mm. You're going to think differently in this way. I know you, you know, try to, don't believe me. You don't have to necessarily believe me, but just keep that in the back of your head and, and try to know it. And one day you'll understand it, but you can't know it now. Mm. But know that it's there. That's, that's good. To me, a lot of the same. Yeah, yeah. It's a hidden word. And one day it'll sprout. The other thing that comes to mind is there's nothing for us to do. That's right. We don't even have to recognize it. That's right. I, you know, I wander around. I love that verse. I wander around the weakness. And what's our part to play in that? At the end of the day, it's, <coughs> it's already done. Yep. We're the object. God's the subject. You play the weakling. We're off. We play the center. I mean, that's what we have. To, we're offering sin is all we're bringing. Yeah. I heard that in the sermon too. A sheep, what do they have to do? Literally look at their mm -hmm. shepherd and that's it. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. They can't do anything else. And perhaps even if they don't look at the shepherd, the shepherd still goes yeah. and picks them up. So Andrew's good sermon. You know, he says maybe the only defense mechanism for a sheep is running. Sheep don't run so good. <laughs> you know, really not at all. They're like, Aah. I've seen them, and they're they're not very fleet of foot. They're, I think it's anyway. They're they're totally weak. They have nothing going for them. So, and that's us. <laughs> Tommy Mayfield and I think gotten some I think maybe it was the youth director here. He always talked about how awful that illustration is. Of like, you're drowning and God throws yeah. you the thing yeah. and you just have to grab onto it. It was like that is totally false. Like you're at the bottom of the lake, beneath the bottom of the lake, yeah. dead. Dead. You know. Yeah. And he goes and picks you up off the bottom. You know.
Did you see the way I reached up and grabbed that life jacket and I pulled myself in? And so, you know, oh, the thirst for glory. So, um, yeah. Well, let me pray. Lord, let this be your word, um, your word of gospel, which uh, spoken falls on the ear and, uh, and the word of power uh, delivers, Lord, redeems and saves. Uh, let your work be done in your way. May it never lack for anything needed. Um, let us boast in our weakness this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.